Hey everyone, James Labrie from Dream Theater, and you're listening to or watching the podcast Talking Into Infinity with JT and Brian. You're dialed into Talking Into Infinity, a Dream Theater podcast. Be a part of the show live every other Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on YouTube, Facebook, TalkingIntoInfinity.com, or the CMSNetwork.com. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Talking Into Infinity, a Dream Theater-centric podcast. I am your host, John. We are live on Facebook, YouTube, TalkingIntoInfinity.com, and the CMS Network Rumble page. We are at those four fine locations every other Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you are watching on YouTube, do not forget to click that like button and click that subscribe button so that you are notified every time we go live. Tonight is a very, very special episode. Uh, We are digging into... One of my all-time favorite bands, one of my all-time favorite records. Brian is off tonight, but I do have a couple of incredible co-hosts who, those of you who have seen the show many times, will probably remember and recognize. But since we are talking about Pantera, uh, no Pantera show would be complete without a black tooth grin, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, get your pull. Black tooth! So there we go. It ain't candy, don't sip it. All right, so without further ado, let's bring on our first guest host. You know him, you love him. If you saw the Dream Sonic tour this year with Dream Theater, Devin Townsend, and Animals as Leaders, you saw his absolutely phenomenal graphic video work yet again. He is the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Wayne Joyner. Dude, welcome back to the show. Good to see you, man. What's up, dude? How's it going, man? Thanks for having me. Anytime, man. It's always good to have you on the show, dude. We, we, We made a pact. When we did Cowboys from Hell, we said, "All right, every time we do Pantera, Wayne has to come on." So, right on. so here, here we are, and um, Chastity Crowley is checking in. All right, hello, all. Just about to head out to get stuff for work and to celebrate my state Dream Theater Day in three days. <laughs> nice. Your state has a Dream Theater Day. <laughs> wow, what state is that, Chastity? Good for you. All right. Um, hey, Utah. Utah. I, oh yeah. Are you in Utah, Chastity? Is it Utah? Interesting. Well, let us know in the chat here, Chassie. Let us know where you're at. So I think you've told us, but I don't remember off the top of my head. So uh, so right right off the rip, Wayne, for, for those uh, viewers, listeners, whatever, who did not see our Cowboys from Hell deep dive episode. Uh, yep, Chastity says Utah is the only state that has it. So, Wayne, you, you win the trivia prize for the night. Why doesn't, ding, ding, ding. Why, does, why doesn't Ohio have it, damn it? <laughs> we needed a Dream Theater day here in Ohio. Or down there in Georgia with you. So, All right, so anyway. All right. So for those people that did not see the Cowboys from Hell episode that you were on, we, we deep dove that record. Um, explain to people a little bit like how you got into Pantera. And specifically, I mean, you are a guitar player in your own right. Obviously, we see the awesome collection behind you. And uh, Dimebag is a huge, huge influence on you, if not the biggest influence. So talk a little bit about how you discovered Pantera and what Dime means to you as a player and an influence. So uh, I would say Pantera was my gateway metal band. You know, when I was in high school, I had Cowboys on cassette. That was the album that kind of got me into the whole 
whole metal realm start with, you know. And uh, growing up in the '90s, going to high school in the '90s, I'm kind of kind of dating myself there, I guess. But you know, Dimebag was the Eddie Van Halen of my generation. He was the, the EVH of the '90s. You know, he was doing things that no other guitar player was doing. He was kind of breaking mold at the time. So you know, his solos, his riffs, there, there was no nobody else doing that kind of stuff. So with, uh, with, with Cowboys, that, that was, that was my, my first cassette tape. So, I mean, just generally, that's going to be my favorite one to start off with. But I mean, there really hasn't been another guy like Don Bag. You know, he was just the trendsetter, trend, trend cool. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> but, you know, he's, I mean, just one in a million type of guy. And his sound is just, it hasn't been anybody else been able to do that you know and i think it's cool that zach Wall is you know doing doing the tribute thing to him but uh i hope i can catch that tour you know i don't know if it's coming to where i think it's coming here but uh you know just, just they were the van halen of the 90s and i mean if you were alive then you just and into metal that was the band to listen to you know? yeah I, I would i would agree with you on you know, the, the Van Halen of the 90s thing. It's like the more and more I listen to Pantera and the more and more you kind of dig into the songwriting and the vibe and everything like that, it really, you know, it they especially Diamond Vinny, like they really replicate Eddie and Alex Van Halen in a lot of ways. Absolutely. You know, in an, yeah. Brother, brotherly love type thing. I mean, they're just a telepathic thing between brothers, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like in the songwriting and the attitude and stuff like that. And it's, you know, the way they play off each other, you know, they, you know, Van Halen was known for, you know, Eddie always said he played off of Alex, not the bass and all, whatever, you know. And, you know, not off the rhythm section as a whole. It was like, you know, guitar player, drummer, which is not the usual thing. And Pantera is really the same way when you kind of dig into the riff, the riffing and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's pretty interesting. I'm, I'm glad that I you agree. mentioned that because that was something I was I was going to bring up because it's really to me kind of obvious. And I, again, as you do some research into it, you can see where that comes from. So, uh, right, well, uh, we do have another co-host to bring on to the show. Uh, he is the co-host of the Classic Metal Show. He's the host of Chris Aiken Presents. He's got eighteen or nineteen different podcasts going on at the same time. And uh, he is one of my best friends, and uh, he and I cannot shut up when we get together. So this is going to be a good episode. I've got two Pantera experts with me. Without further ado, the mighty Chris Aiken. What's up, man? Good to see you, bud. What up, sir? Easy topic to talk about, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I I think I told Wayne the last time, I was like, if we're going to do more Pantera, I've got to get Aiken on here because I know this is like damn near the band for you oh it is it's my so, number one band without question not even not even well i guess the closest would be early metallica but okay. but yeah i mean Pantera's the band that still lives today for me and obviously you know i was very very close to Dimebag. you know we were yep. we were friends and not the kind of friends that hey i met him once we're friends now you know not yeah. like that kind of friends so we were friends i was friends with vince for a lot of years i'm still friends with uh philip i still hate rex but um <laughs> you know <laughs> you know but um yeah i mean i i spent all of my 20s as a pantera guy and you know i i was always in and um and still love him to this day well you know we asked wayne like his history with the band so 
why don't you talk a little bit about like how you discovered him and also i mean you've got a really really personal story about the band that you know would be cool you know for you to share on here for sure. people that have not heard it so Sure. Well, as far as meeting the or discovering the band, uh, I was living out in um, San, the San Francisco area in 1989, I guess, 89, 90, 91, 92. And um, I used to go up to the, I was living at Fort Ord. I was in the military. And um, I used to go up to uh, either the Stone or the Omni on the weekends. And I never even knew who was playing. It just didn't matter. You know, it was just those clubs were always cool and you could always go and see bands play. And sometimes they were cool, sometimes they weren't, but there was always rock stars in the place. So it was nothing to meet, you know, Jim Martin from Faith No More or Zach Wild or whoever, you know, sometimes the Metallica guys would be in there just hanging out. And so me being dopey kid, I was like, yeah, I'm going, fuck it. You know, I'm, I'm definitely going up. And a couple of times I saw Pantera, you know, when they were in and out from, from Texas, you know, and this is pre, pre Cowboys. So, you know, I, I fell in love with them immediately with, with their sound, that whole Judas Priesty sort of thing they were doing. So then fast forward about a year, I guess, and I was I was in my friend Rich's room in his bar in the barracks, and he had something playing and it was just blowing me away. And I was like, What the hell is that? And it was it was um Cowboys. It was a Cowboys album. And I had to have it. And stupid me i'm like i i gotta have it man give it to me what make me a copy and he wouldn't make a copy because he's being a douche so <laughs> i i literally was like all right well i'll trade you my my pearl jam debut record and i'll trade you my nine inch nails you know pretty pretty hate machine for it so i made this trade and at, at first i thought i made just a horrible trade because back then 30 dollars worth of cds was like nine thousand dollars so <laughs> You know, I, I just didn't have, I didn't have the money to do it, but I wanted it just because I had heard a couple songs and it really hit me. And I just remember driving home in my car and I had it on in my car. And even though back then the car CDs skipped like crazy, whatever, I was just floored. And I literally sat in my driveway for like three hours, just playing it over and over again. I was, I was sold from absolute minute one. And it, it never went away, man. I, I just really loved the band. And um, by the grace of God, you know, I I got into the business of being in the business of music, I guess. And um, I got to know the guys really, really pretty well. And um, I did several interviews with all of them. I've, I've still interviewed Phil. I interviewed Phil last time, I think, was during the pandemic when he did that, whatever that thing was with Bill Mosley, that horror thing. It was like phil and bill or something yeah um but um you know i've known him for years and um when i got in my little industrial accident um you know i i used pantera to get myself healthy i was in the hospital and um you know i was in a coma for a while and then i had a year and a half of recovery from getting burned up and um but in the hospital i um my, my friend Scotty comes to the hospital one day and he's, you know, just visit me. And I, I was a mess. And he's like, dude, you know, Pantera's going to be coming to town. Like they had announced the Pantera show. And I was like, well, you got to go get me tickets. Meanwhile, I'm a bloody disgusting mess at this point. I mean, <laughs> right. there's no chance at all. I'm going to the show in like three months or something. And he's like, no, no, I'll get your shirt. I'll get you, you know, whatever. And, and I just screamed. At him. I was like, 
don't fuck with me. Get me some fucking tickets. You know, I just like <laughs> lit him up. And he did just because he didn't want to see me freak out. He goes to Ticketmaster or whatever and he buys me a pair of tickets. I had him throw away all of the all of the um, get well soon cards that were on a little cork board that I had in front of my bed. And I had him put the tickets in that in the middle of that thing. And I drew, had him draw circles around it so that nobody would put anything in there. And I used that to get better. And literally every time I wanted to quit doing physical therapy or hand therapy or whatever the hell they wanted me to do, I would look at those tickets and I would keep going. And I literally used Pantera as kind of my motivator to get healthy. And and I did go to that show. I was a bloody mess and I bled all over the bleachers, but I was at that show at Rhodes. <laughs> I was at the show at Rhodes Arena. You know, just you know, almost like a victory lap, more or less, to, you know, saw Pantera then. And then, um, again, fast forward, because I'll tell, tell the little personal quick thing. I wrote a book about the burn accident, and I wrote a chapter about that story I just told. And Anselmo saw it, endorsed the book, cut me a nice little video of, you know, thanking me for, for endorsing, you know, his band and making him realize how important his music was and stuff. So it was a very cool moment between me and Phil. That is, yeah, that, for those of you guys that have not, you know, heard about Chris's book or, you know, it is, it is, it is called Call Me Chris and it is absolutely just a crazy story. You know, he says burn accident and coma and bloody mess and all that. But I mean, the truth of the matter is that you had a, 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 a vat of molten steel explode onto you. Yeah, you had, you know, third, yeah, <laughs> you had third degree burns over sixty nine percent of your body, and that was what you were recovering from. Yeah, so yeah, it was it was a bit it was a bit of a thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, quick disclaimer for all you guys who know the show: if my video goes wonky, just deal with it. My audio will be fine, and the video will correct itself. Thank. This is the wonders of living in a cement block basement. So, uh, and and there it goes right there as I say it. All right. So, for me, Vulgar Display is, is an interesting record uh, because it's the one... My history with Pantera begins with Vulgar Display, and I can tell you exactly where I was when I first heard it. I was actually on 303 passing Skyland Golf Course. Chris, I don't know if you remember that, but it was literally not 30 seconds up the street from a place I would later live in for 15 years. So, it was really weird, but... I was. I grew up, and I had started playing guitar when I was thirteen. I started playing drums when I was fourteen, and I was a big metal guy. And I was teaching myself drums and guitar and all this stuff. And I had hooked up with this guitar player guy in North Royalton. I lived in Strongsville at the time, and those cities are probably about like twenty-five minutes apart or something. And I would drive like once or twice a week to his house with my drum kit, and my little, you know, my, my little car, and set up the drum kit in his garage. We'd play Metallica tunes all day. Well, one day he wants to go to the mall. And he's like, dude, the new Pantera record's out. I was like, what the hell is a Pantera? So we go to the mall. He, he grabs Vulgar Display of Power. And I'm like, okay. So we get back in the car. We're listening to stuff. He's like, I, we, were, we were trying to listen to some Metallica stuff for the rehearsal. And he's like, he's like, fuck this. I got to listen to this record. So he puts this tape in and Mouth for War hits. And I was like, what in God's name is this? I was like... <laughs> holy shit this is like the heaviest thing i have ever heard like and I, I was you know into slayer at that time and something about it just struck me as heavier than slayer and i will just never forget going through the like i was not a big fan of the vocals like i i 
now Pantera is and, and Slayer are basically the two bands that I really get into that have the screamer vocals, but for the most part, I need the melodic vocals. Well, but the riffs and the power of Pantera, I was like, what the shit is this? And you know, it, it took me a couple, like two or three more years before I really dug into Pantera, but that first impression of them has never ever left me i was like because I, I i hear guitars first as i'm sure you do wayne i mean you know yeah your guitar player yeah. stuff like that and and i was like seriously it just it just blew my head off i'm like there is so much goddamn groove here but the power of it you know it, it was just it was just undeniable i was like i've never heard anything like that and i always think about this record in the terms of, of you know, when, when I talk a lot about Van Halen, it was my favorite band. People talk about, oh, you know, when they first heard the, you know, the debut record in 1978, it's just like, this is something new. It, it changes the game. This is like, oh, my God. And Pantera was that one band for me that I heard. And, and granted, they had already had Cowboys up, but I hadn't heard it. So for me, this was, holy shit, this is like a game changer, you know. So, you know, it, it's and, and once I really dug into the band, like they became a huge, huge influence on me. And when I wrote songs, like when I wanted to write something heavy, it, it seemed to always come back to like, you know, let, let's let's do some Pantera shit. So, um, you know, and now, I mean, they're definitely in my top five favorite bands without without a shadow of a doubt. And I mean, they may be even maybe in the top three behind Van Halen and Dream Theater. But, you know, I, I kind of wanted to start there by saying, you know, th th this really is a game changer and it really kind of ushered in this new era of stuff because cowboys from hell people were like oh my god what is this like this this grooves and this does this and this does that but i think we can all agree that uh you know when when vulgar hit they just absolutely exploded it was you know it was almost like cowboys from hell was the demos and then the real deal was vulgar display and to me it just was like nothing else that had come before it. And the power of it was absolutely undeniable. And so many elements of this record come together. And for me, and I know, Chris, you said you know, before we got in there that your favorite record is Trendkill. Mm -hmm. Wayne, you said yours is Cowboys. For me, it's this record because there are so many elements that are absolutely perfect in this record. You know, Like I said, the power of it. Well, it's got power in the title. I mean, it sounds stupid, but it's very apropos. Um, you know, there's a confidence to this record that is, you know, you could you could definitely new level hear, of it as yeah. I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and it's just there are so many elements that come together here that are just, you know, I mean, it, it even goes beyond music. I mean, the production is phenomenal. The songwriting is concise and tight and just hard hitting all the way through the lyrics. Yeah, ex exactly. Exactly. When the album cover, I mean, even go there. Just dude, Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is just a complete package. I mean, dude. You know, the other thing to, to keep in mind on this too, dude, is is the timing of this. And I, it, I was going to bring that up later, but yeah, thank it's you. It's so important to remember, this came right on the heels of the album that a lot of, not me personally, but a lot of Metallica fans thought that their band gave up on them. Because this came, yeah. what, four months, five months after the Black Album? I mean, it was pretty close the Black Album was what September of ninety one maybe ninety one yeah mm -hmm. and then this came out in February of ninety two if I'm again I'm guessing it dates but I think that's right um, and 
so you had a bunch of metalheads that felt really disgusted because their girlfriends were liking their favorite band now, you know, so they didn't like that. And then at the same time, you got this other band that's just coming out and it's like, whoa, this is heavy, but it's not death metal. It's, it's melodic and it just rips your face completely off. And it was like, all right, these guys, I mean, how quick was it before you started hearing Pantera are the new Kings of metal? I remember hearing that in 92. Yeah. You know. yeah, there's been a lot of that time. Man. I guess Countdown to Extinction and NIT was probably the closest thing to this, but yeah. being mm-hmm. older just blew it out of the water. You know, yeah. I mean, Countdown production was good, but for a heavy band like Pantera and Vulgar Display, there was nothing like it in 1992. You know, it was, no. it was the, the future was here in 92. You know, it was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And even and even to people that that'll go to a band like a, like a Slayer as an example. You know, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, but Slayer <laughs> sounded old at the time. You know, they 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 just did. They sounded like yesterday's heavy metal. And then Pantera did not sound like Slayer, like Testament, like Overkill, like Anthra, you know, pick any of those bands that were popular at that time. You know, they didn't sound like any of it. It was so different, and it was heavy, and it was melodic, and it went back to being the kind of music that, man, you either were down or you weren't, and there was no two ways about it. And and that was kind of on the heels of the all-time band saying, now nah, we're going to sell records now. It was it was refreshing yeah. to have a new band. Right? Yeah, and I, I think, you know, to your, to your point, Chris, they, you know, it was fresh, and it was new, and you know this. I kind of, I kind of liken this to. I mean, follow me here, Chris, because I know you're not a big Dream Theater guy. But you know, I mean, this is the same year that Dream Theater put out Images and Words, and we had gotten Nevermind the year before, and all of a sudden, grunge was starting to just absolutely explode. So '92 is pretty much like the tail end of the metal thing, maybe into '93, and so you had these two records, and you know, Pull Me Under obviously set Dream Theater up for success with. You know, or excuse me, uh, images and words. You know, set Dream Theater up for success with "Pull Me Under," and it kind of catapulted their career because it was such a strong record. But "Vulgar Display" not only did it set them up and establish them, establish them, excuse me, as you said, Chris, as the new kings of metal, like you said, but it propelled them in the middle of the grunge explosion mm-hmm. to a number one fucking record, right? Without I mean, ever getting any airplay, none. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Wayne, like, what were your first impressions of hearing Vulgar Display? I mean, like, what did you, again, like we said, Cowboys is your favorite record, but what were your first impressions when you heard Vulgar Display? Well, that was my first CD. It's the first CD I ever owned. And <laughs> nice. for me, the first thing that, that, that got me is, you know, I was just, I was probably 15 years old, just getting the guitar, was Dimebag's riffs on Vulgar. So for Cowboys, for me, it's Cowboy. The, the solos with Cowboys are better, but Vulgar, the riffs are better. You know, like doing my homework, you know, like today, like mowing lawn, listening to the record, Vulgar, in, in the past <laughs> couple of days, you know, like going back and listening to some of those riffs, you know, I can hear like the new metal influence in some mm-hmm. of these riffs, you know, like a lot of bands that follow like the Stuck Mojos. I mean, I can totally hear the, oh, yeah. like, the influence in that. Yep. 
you know, that offbeat chugging that, that's all over Mulder. You know, I can yep. hear more deftones. So this, not only this, did this album, I think, influence a whole scene after grunge. You know, I think it's, I think it did the whole thing with like the metalcore. I think it's the gent. Like every scene that's come after that, I think has been influenced by this record. You yeah. Know, I can I, hear the influence for like 30 years after this record. I can hear, still hear the influences in bands today. Yeah, I I completely agree. It's 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 almost like, you know, and my video is awesome. Um, it's it's almost like they kind of kept metal afloat during that, you it's know, dark period. Yeah, I mean, they really like they were so popular that even, you know, during that grunge thing, and like you said, you know, they went to vulgar, you know, they went to far beyond driven, and you know, they went to trend kill and stuff. They they were still playing sheds when other bands that were absolutely legendary as well were playing clubs you know what i mean mm-hmm. like it was there was something about them that uh <laughs> johan alexanderson says i thought man of war were the kings of metal <laughs> you know pantera were the new kings <laughs> yeah it's the new kings johan yeah. new kings <laughs> so but yeah it, it's it's almost like the like they kind of kept it alive you know, kept it afloat. And I mean, I hate to phrase it. It, it sounds so pompous to phrase it that way. But, you know, again, you know, when, when you're seeing like Dio playing clubs and Testament playing clubs, and then you got Pantera playing to 20,000 people, it's like, okay, well, this is, you know, it's still here. It's still alive, you know, and especially getting that number one record. And, you know, Vulgar Display was, you know, that was, it was the start of all that. Well, and a big part of that. A big part of that, at least in my opinion, was that Pantera was all those other bands that you mentioned were just that were just bands. And, you know, being the old guy here, I think I could tell you for a fact when Metallica was first coming up, Metallica was more than a band. Metallica was an experience when you were going to when Metallica was coming to your town. That was, you're taking the day off of the show because you're going to party your ass off all day. You're taking the next day off, and you might even take the next day off because you're going to party so hard. That's what Metallica was. It was a true event. Then it stopped being that when Metallica, you know, started doing Enter Sandman and stuff like that. Then it was just, okay, now they're a regular band again. And all those other bands that you named, they were never event-type bands. Pantera was an absolute event in anything they did. John, you lost a job because of Pantera. <laughs> Not because it wasn't even a show, but it was an event. Pantera came to the record store. 3,000 people came out to the record store to get a glimpse of these guys. And Pantera, yeah. de- and even with them not playing a show, they delivered. They delivered intensity. The crowd delivered. Everybody was into it. And that's what Pantera was. It was always, if you think about it, you associate the drinking, the partying, the being silly, the being metal, to being tough. All those things were part of the Pantera experience. Nobody, nobody I know, maybe one of you is, but I doubt it. Nobody associates going to see Pantera to going to see Testament. That's just a good show. Nobody does it. Nobody's ever done that. It's always yeah. been an experience. And they, again, they, they closed the door or kicked the door open that Metallica had closed. 
It was just perfect timing for the perfect band at that moment. Yeah, I think it's it, it, like they're almost in, in a category with a band like Kiss or Van Halen in that respect. Because Kiss, you think, okay, not just the songs. And Kiss is not musically comparable, obviously. But um, you think of the makeup and the show and the explosion. Like it's more than just I'm going to go see a band play songs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Van Halen was a band playing songs, but it was they're going to be drinking Jack Daniels. Eddie's going to have his crazy guitar solo with the fucking Frankenstrat guitar. You know, there's just more to it, you know, and it, you're, you're completely spot on with that one, Chris. And I mean, Wayne, can you think of any other bands that like I mean, that we're into that have that experience factor to them like like Pantera did? I mean, I they were they're up there, man. Yeah, dude, it's kind of, like I was saying earlier. It's like once in a generation, a once in a generation type thing. You know, Van it was you know Kiss of the seventies, and I guess Van Halen was the seventies and eighties, early eighties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean I'm a bit bigger guy, but the experience wasn't the same. The yeah. rock was the experience, you know. Right. And Pantera was that in the nineties. You know, it was they they carried the torch through that whole grunge scene, you know. It was it was uncool to listen to Metallica in '97. It was uncool to listen to Megadeth in '97, but it was not uncool to listen to Pantera in '97. You know, it was the experience, and I mean, I, I never got to see them. You know, that's that's a regret of mine. I mean, I had I had an opportunity to see Damage Plan in front of 20 people, and like an asshole, missed it. <laughs> right. But you know, it, it was that experience, and even to this day. I don't even know any other bands that would even have that experience. You know, we don't have rock stars now like those guys were in the 90s. You know, back then, it was, like you said, the drinking the Jack Daniels. It was a, it was a party. Mm-hmm. You know, people went and had a good time. You know, now it's just guys, guitar players, who plug into a laptop and do that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just not the same, you know. I mean... Well, I- and that was going to be my next question to you, and I'll pose it to you first, Wayne, and then to you, Chris. Can you think of anybody since Pantera that th- going to their show has been an experience like that? Because I, when you mentioned it, Chris, I started thinking about, okay, do we have anything like that now or anybody since Pantera? And I can't really think. Can you think of anybody, Wayne? I, I'm, I'm at a loss. And I, I can't either. Yeah. What about you, Chris? Maybe GNR. Maybe. Yeah, that you know, yeah, I, I mean, maybe, but even that, I mean, it's not the same. I mean, it's like, yeah, it, you know, it, it, GNR, you're still watching the band. I mean, it, it is an experience, and they they certainly do it super big, so it feels that way. But I mean, when Dimebag was up there throwing black tooths into the crowd and stuff, <laughs> like yeah. like you felt like Dimebag yeah. made you feel. And Phil too in the early days before he became dope sick Phil, but when when Phil Phil and Dime were in the early days of the band, it really felt like the only thing that was between you being part of the show was the wood, the wood in between you. You know, it, it, you yeah. felt like you were part of that show, and they they brought you all the way in. It was nothing to see Philip jump into the crowd and keep on singing. It was nothing to see Dimebag jump into the crowd with his guitar. You know, I mean, they 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 were like a punk band wrapped in a metal band wrapped into your best friends in the backyard barbecue. You know, it, <laughs> it, it was the weirdest thing how it all worked together for them. And again, it was it was timing. It was 
they literally were perfect storm band at the exact right moment. If they had come out two years later, it wouldn't have been as big. If they had come out two years earlier, it probably wouldn't have hit at all because they would have been getting nothing but comparisons to um, at Injustice for All. Comparisons uh, that they wouldn't have won. They yeah. wouldn't have won those comparisons. And this was at a time, look, it's the band on stage. It was the band on stage performing and putting on the show. Now it's like in a time, and I, mean, I have to say this, being a part of my job, it's like bands now, the experience they bring, the big screens behind them, we got video, and Pantera was doing all this before all that. Yeah. And commanding and respecting the show. Now it's like so many elements that bring into it, which is cool, you know, and, and it pays the bills for me, you know, but back then, <laughs> right. it was John back ripping the hell out of the guitar in front of 100,000 people, and it was an experience. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go back to the experience thing. Uh, the only band I th- actually think I, I, I've been sitting here trying to think of if there was, it has been one since, and there has been one since Slipknot. I was going to say the same thing, man. Even though I'm not a fan, but it it is a show. It is an absolute experience to see Slipknot. It's All not. Right. Yeah, it's not that. just. Uh, it's not just. Hey, look at those weird guys in costumes. I mean, it's really a show. You know, it's a show on top of really heavy music, but. But that and maybe Ramstein too. You know, I haven't seen oh. them in a while. But that's a that is definitely a crazy show. But okay. I, there's a few. Uh, again, there's very few. I wouldn't put it, either of those two above the Pantera of '92 through '96. Yeah, but, for sure. <laughs> you know, well, but, and I mean Pantera even branched out. I mean, when you think of Pantera, you also think of like like I did right at the outset, Black Tooth Grin. Like, you know what you're going to drink, you know? I mean, we're going out to Burgettstown, Pennsylvania tomorrow. Sorry, Chris. And, uh, you know, I got a bottle of Crown, you know, sitting on ice with, with a, you know, a liter of Coke, and we're going to do Black Tooth Grins in the parking lot, old school style, you know? And you, you know what they drank. And then with the Pantera home videos, like, my brother and I can quote, you know, parts one, two, and three, chapter and verse, and it's become part of our lexicon to use stuff that they say, and, and you know, funny funny shit they say in the in the home videos, when we're talking to each other. So it's, it, it they just go so far beyond driven, uh, not driven, but, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's beyond just listening to a band and seeing a band and Wayne, to your point, I mean, you absolutely nailed it. Like, I mean, all the video screen stuff is amazing. Obviously, like you said, it, it employs you, which is a beautiful thing. Um, and it's, you know, it's great to see that stuff, but you know, when you saw Pantera, they were razor sharp tight and they were moving. That was not a band that, I mean, if, if you listen to live recordings of those guys, you'd be like, okay, well, you're thinking they're kind of standing there just really making sure they're nailing shit. No, they were hopping around and they were thrashing. And not only that, but they were so whacked out on booze and coke. It's not even funny. Yeah. I mean, Aiken, you were backstage with them one time, like where, you know, nobody could stand. I mean, they, it, Anthrax drank so much with them at that show that they quoted, they were quoted as saying that was the only bad show of the tour was in Akron, Ohio, because they were so goddamn drunk. It was, you know, at, it was a disaster. So, and I can very much attest to the fact that they and I were, oh boy, <laughs> we did some serious drinking for like hours. That, that's another thing that you can't spell that out enough. And I know it's not a good thing, but it is a true thing. Yeah, I hung out with Pantera. God knows, and John, you know this. Wayne, you don't. You probably don't know this, but I, I knew those guys really well. And I, when when they would come here, it was usually 
I would take a day off and I would meet up with Phil or Nime or somebody somewhere, you know, and it would just be all day drinking. And it literally would be, they, they would call and be like, Hey brother, meet us down here at the venue at three o'clock. Like, all right. So we show up at three o'clock and we would be slamming drinks like shot after shot after shot after shot. You know, they're going on at like eight 30. So we're drinking literally until it's time and for it's time for them to go on. And they'd be like, all right, let's go. And I mean, Philip, some, I, I can remember one time specifically on um, Trend Kill Tour, Philip staggered to get up. He staggered in the, in, the, in, the back, in the backstage area to get up, and he just kind of did this wobbly thing, getting his, his head together. Then he walked out on stage and just ripped the stage apart. And Dimebag, too, it, it's never seen guys that could be that hammered and all of a sudden pull it together and just deliver every single time. I never saw them be terrible, ever. Yeah, I mean, they were absolutely just so fucking razor sharp. It was mm-hmm. un- it was unbelievable. Like I said, I mean, it was always impressive, you know, when I saw those videos and stuff before I knew the behind the scenes of everything. But then, it, I mean, it just took on a whole nother, whole nother, just level of of how impressive it was. You know, a whole new level. There we go. If we're going to keep doing that all, <laughs> we're all night. doing it all night. Oh, we did this the other night. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, it just took on a whole new level of just. Oh my god, it was so impressive when you find out that they're doing it like I mean, dude, I get drunk if I get that drunk on stage, like I'm flubbing lyrics and I'm kind of stumbling around. Those guys are doing like fucking hostile, like 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 tighter than you know most guys could do it sober. It's like what is that? So crazy. Yeah, like how do you I mean God, I have no idea, man. By the way, so real quick for everybody watching or listening, um, our good buddy Mike Lamagne says he wants to know where do I stream for on-screen comments. Well, Obviously if you go to here, fa- <laughs> yeah, if you go to YouTube or Facebook and watch the broadcast on either of those sites, uh, you will be able to comment, and we can pull it up on the screen. If you're watching on Rumble, we can't pull comments up from there. But Facebook and YouTube, if you would like to comment and be a part of the show, that's where you go. So make sure you log into one of those two sites, and we can definitely pull your stuff up. So let's dig let's dig into the record. Let's go track for track. Let's, you know, run through this here. Obviously we start out with Mouth for War, which is just absolutely you know, coming off of Cowboys from Hell. For me, I think if you if you A B, you know, the the art of shredding with Mouth for War, it kind of sounds like the art of shredding is like, okay, this is a precursor to what you're about to get in two years. And it's kind of cool to listen to it that way. Cause man, mouth for war kicks in and you're like, Oh my God. Like it just, you know, and that production immediately. I mean, the drums are just so they're fat, they're powerful, but they, they've got that click to them. You know, the guitars. Yeah. Yes. That is an excellent way to phrase it, dude. They're very clean. I mean, everything is just hitting. And you're like, God bless America. So for me, obviously, you know, this is actually one of the first songs that I played on bass of all things. And, um, it, dude, it's it's not one of the more complicated uh, songs, I would say, if you're actually playing the parts. But it 
it's so direct and so fucking good and straightforward. It's, I mean, th- this album, or excuse me, this song really announces this album. Wayne, what what are your thoughts on Mouth for War? So for for that track, and I'll go ahead and say for every track on this record, it it's all to me. It sounds like a UFC intro, you know, <laughs> like I'm walking, walking to the octagon to beat somebody's ass. Like it pumps you up, you know. It's it's all about the this this record's all about the riffs and Mouth for War. It starts off with a riff, you know. It's dun 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 dun. dun, dun. It's, it's it's just all in Dimebag's right hand. That right hand technique that he does all through this album is incredible, you know. And, and, and it's it's just like I was saying earlier, it's like the production of it. You can hear every note. You can hear every snare drum hits everything it's just so clean you know and, and i think it's it was a part of that era like 92 like uh i guess max norman was doing a lot of production there because like, countdown has that kind of sound too as well it's just like so clean you can hear yeah. every every snare hit and vulgar display was like that too and up until that point metal just didn't sound that clean you know slayer it's, it's kind of grungy metal, you know. It's just thrash. But when Volar came out, it was just you could hear the notes. And yeah. With Mouth of War, just every all that palm muting right hand technique that Dimebag was doing, you could hear it. And it, I think, it inspired so many rhythm guitar players, not just the lead guys playing solos and shredding all over the place, but the rhythm guys that want to do that chugga chugga stuff and have it clean. Yeah. You can hear it. And just that intro mouth for war riff could do it by itself. It, yeah. And we'll probably get into Walk earlier, which was the riff king guitar playing. <laughs> right. But mouth for war, I mean, that that's where for me, clean rhythm guitar, riffage started. You, you can hear it. And to and to your point also, I you know, one thing I was gonna bring up later is that, you know, Dimebag's playing is not only like technically just unbelievably superior to most anybody else, but he's got melody to him. It's another it's another connection to, you know, it's another Van Halen connection in that his riffs, you could yeah, you yeah, you could sing the riffs, you could sing the solos, and yet as crushing as it is there's always that melody, and it's it's it, it's so difficult to do that. And Wayne, as a guitar player, you know, as someone who tries to write music, that that is next to impossible to you know that it's next to impossible to achieve to to get that balance of heaviness and melody. And it's it, Dimebag was an, was the master of it. There's nobody yeah. that's done it like him. Period. The end. There there hasn't been before. There hasn't been since. The first guys fuse blues and metal. Yep together so perfectly like that. And I mean, I can't think of anybody for him that did that, you know, and on yeah. solid state gear too. <laughs> like core game. Yeah. You know? All right. It's incredible. Well, Chris, what are your thoughts on mouth for war? I'm about to get shot, but it's my least favorite song on the whole album. <laughs> really? It is my least favorite song no to way. me. Yep. To me. And that being said, I, I love it. So, I, I mean, I, I don't, I'm by no means saying it's a bad song, but it is my least favorite on the album because it's the most similar to Cowboys. It just, remi- I, it just felt like 
something that got left off Cowboys to me at the beginning. What I do like about it, though, is I like the Dimebag solo into that just raging end of the song. You know, I, I love that part at that, you know, at the end where and then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, right. Where's this coming from? You know? And, and, but honestly, I, I can remember listening to it the first time and I was, I was actually disappointed. I was like, eh, sounds like what they were doing. And then, but then when it kicks in at the end, it just really kicks in and it's like, whoa. And the way it bleeds right into new level and then. Then New Level just was like, all right, this is the band that I want. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it, it, it actually is probably, it's, it's definitely the least played song on, on the album for me. I, I almost never play it because it's A, overplayed, and B, I just never, I never, never dug that one song. It felt too close to the, to the previous album. Wow. Okay. Uh, Chesty Crawley says, these stories remind me of a few different things I've read about people who drank or did drugs and were amazing at work, then got sober and couldn't do their job. A little bit, <laughs> but I, I would I would have to say that Dimebag could do it sober because if you go on the internet and see him teaching lessons and stuff, yeah, he's he's got it. Yeah, he was he was quite the player. Yeah, that now then again, that also, you know begs the question was he actually sober in those videos <laughs> good point too <laughs> so uh cam mcleish good to see you for a second man he says hey guys internet here in bali is pretty spotty so i'll probably have to catch the replay just wanted to stop by and say hi to chris and wayne so kale checking in hello kale and here's uh the ultimate cleveland hater himself jim Bartek, jim bartek mr jackal saying hail and kill there you go. So uh, go Guardians, Jackal. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> nice. um, so, yeah, I, I'm surprised that this is like your least favorite song on the record, Chris. That's kind of interesting. I mean, I get that I, I, from an, from the fact of it being overplayed. I, I'll give you that. But otherwise, I mean, this is goddamn th this song way up in my top favorite Pantera songs. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, let's move on to track two. Uh, which is a new level, obviously, and uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. It is God. This is this song is God damn. If you weren't sold by Mouth for War, then a new level is definitely, definitely, definitely where you go. Okay, yeah, I, I get, I get what we got here. Okay, I mean, this song is just so unbelievably heavy. It's got that. It's just almost like a boogie groove. You know, and, you know, going back to the Van Halen thing, Wayne, that sounds like, you know, a Van Halen, you know, Alex Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen solo section where Alex is doing that boogie shuffle kind of thing almost. But this is the heavy version of it. And this is the first time on the record where they get into, they kind of like simplify the songwriting. And by that, I mean, when it gets to the solo, it's just drums, bass and guitar. You know, there is no, there's no rhythm guitar underneath. There's no fancy effects. There's nothing. It's just, you know, Rex and Vinny are just going for it, and Dime is is pedal to the floor, and I, I love when they do that. Like it's just, th those are my favorite solos of the entire Pantera catalog when they do that. When it's just as as simple and stripped down as possible, because you can really hear Rex's bass lines, and he is an unbelievably underrated bass player. That's something that never gets talked about is his skill as a bass player. And so you get to hear. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. What was that? 
He's a Michael Anthony of metal. No, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, he, it, dude, he does all this walking stuff that you don't really notice because you're so focused on dime. But when you really sit back and listen to him in in solo sections like on a new level, you can hear he's just like all over the fretboard, and it's musical, but it's heavy, and it just ne- he. I know you hate him, Chris, but as a player, I don't gets, hate him as a player. I just hate no, him as yeah. a person. Yeah, as. <laughs> As a player, he never gets talked about, and that's just criminal because he is absolutely like one of the best four-piece bass players you could ever imagine because he just plays everything exactly how you need it to be played. And yeah, this song, I mean, what, what else is there to say? It's just, it, this song, I mean, it's, again, everything about this record seems to land perfectly. Like, okay, this is a new level, right? Well, you hear, you hear Martha Ward and you're like, holy shit, is this heavy? And then the next song, nope, it's a new level. <laughs> you know, like, so, you know, it's goddamn. This is just such a. Again, the the one thing about the first five songs on this record is that they're definitely overplayed. You know what I mean? It, it's like the first Van Halen record for me, but you, I, I can never get enough of hearing them. They're so good. I'm like, yeah, I'll listen to that again. I'll, you know, I'll listen. I'll, I'll listen to Mouth for War again. I'll listen to new a new level again. You know, so, um, going to you, Chris. We'll switch it up here. Uh, what are your thoughts on a new level? I th- hey, yes, it, it's so crushing. You can't you can't help but be sucked into it. But what I what I always like best about that song, and what I still like best about that song, is I like the way it's almost organized backwards to just about any other song, where it uses the the slow the slower parts as like the build up. You know, yeah. it, it it just is like real, you know, even the beginning. And all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, where'd this come? You know, it's it's almost like, I don't even know how to explain it, but it it's not technically a normal song. You know, there's nothing normal about it. And and it just crushes, and Dimebag crushes, and, um, and Vince crushes, you know, throughout his... You know, you guys were talking about it earlier, and I will agree fully, not only here, but pretty much on every Pantera record, that dude found a way to be heavy as hell and still arena rock sounding. Yeah. And I don't know how he did it, because it's 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 really kind of odd that no one, I know Benante's out there doing it now, but yeah. nobody really ever mimicked it. No. I don't no. think anybody ever did. There's no... No. You know, you, usually if if a drummer finds a sound that's unique, then fifty other drummers come behind him and sound like him. Yeah. And to this day, you know what? Five years after Vince's death, and ten years or fifteen years, whatever it's been after Pantera's demise, there's still nobody doing that sound. Yeah. It's crazy, but yeah, new level. Just it was. It was a new level of everything. New level of heaviness. New level of power as they say you know (laughs) a new just it it just really was like all right something special is going on with this release yeah and i think you know to your point about the drumming and whatnot it's like i just got done listening to the audiobook of geezer butler's by autobiography and he he mentioned how you know bill ward had a swing to his playing that when they had subsequent drummers nobody could replicate it and i started thinking about it and i've seen a lot of classic sabbath stuff i'm like you know what that's actually really true. 
Like he, it, it, he, it, it's almost like swing stuff, but while it's heavy and in the pocket, and you know, and no one afterwards, like you know, Vinny Apice and you know, Tommy, Tommy Clufetos. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing that Clufetos. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, but um, they didn't replicate it. it. It's like there, there's only one person that could do it. And it was Bill Ward, and I think to your point, Vinny Paul was, you know, the same way. So, uh, Wayne, your thoughts on a new level. So to go on your last comment, you know, I think uh, Gene Hoagland is probably the only drummer to come close to having that Vinnie Paul type sound. When I, when I hear Gene play, I kind of get some Vinnie vibes from it. A little bit, not the same, but if I was going to compare drummers, that would be your apple, your apples and apples. Sure, you know? okay. But with uh, with new with the new level, I think this is the first time that we actually hear, hear Phil sounding like Phil. He's he's becoming that that deep brutal metal singer because i think on, on cowboys yeah. we're still kind of hearing phil kind of sound like rob halford a little bit yeah hitting those high notes of older he's not doing that i think he's really starting to come into his own a little bit and i think this is a song that he does it on and this is this is like one of those songs that i can start that gets stuck in my head and i don't even have to listen to it it can be playing in my head and i can be walking on the street or driving my car and i'm not listening to the song it's stuck in my head and I can start headbanging. I'm like, yep. <laughs> what's in my head? You know, it's just, just it, it's that like groovy, you know? It's yeah. Metal groove. That's what this this album is for me, and especially this song is that metal groove. They're playing slow. They're not playing thrashy. They're not playing fast. It's like, dun, 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 dun. you know, you can yep. you can headbang to it and not hurt your neck. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it, it does. It, yeah, it does, it yeah, does go from the. Da, 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 da. It's like a very direct, like. So it goes from yeah. like that straight ahead, just, you know, just, you know, Neanderthal kind of chugging to that, like I said, that, that boogie, that boogie type of thing, like. So, yeah, I, I love this song. So, all right, we go from Mouth for War, and then we reach a new level, as we said. If you were not convinced that this record is going to absolutely annihilate your fucking face, you then get Walk. And I, if there is anybody out there who listened to this record and listened to the first three songs and went, yeah, I don't think this is for me. Well, pardon me for saying so, but fuck you. Because if, if you're not sold after Walk, I don't care how overplayed it is. I don't care how simple that riff is. And Wayne is a guitar player, you know. There is there has never been a better riff in the history of metal that only uses two goddamn guitar frets. <laughs> like it is the most simplistic thing right. you could ever play, and yet it is the most effective. It, it's like smoke on the water, dude. It's like only even easier. Like you could teach a three year old to go, eh, 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 like it's all you do. Like yet it is in the hands of Dimebag Daryl. It is absolutely one of the most classic metal riffs and metal songs ever. Um, there's not really too much to say about Walk except for the fact that it absolutely just rips. And this is, when you listen to this, you kind of want to walk, like do the Philip Anselmo, like the gorilla walk, and like like walk Conor on Conor McGregor. Boy. Yeah, the Conor yes. McGregor thing. Yep. Yeah, I mean, Wayne, you mentioned like a UFC intro for Mouth of War. Like, this is, it, it does sound like this. Like, it it makes you want, like, it, it it's it's like liquid courage, they say, when you're in a bar and you're drunk and you're about to get into a fight, like liquid courage. Like, like this is like musical courage. 
Yeah, you you cannot listen to this and not just like like beef up all of a sudden. Well, and yeah. even if you don't, it, it even ends with the with just an absolute fuck you. I am walking up on you with that walk on home, boy. Yeah, you know, it's like it's like yeah, right. It's, it's literally saying I dare you to step to me. You know? Yeah, yep. And then and then it adds to the it adds to the you know that simple like one and 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 it's like a single note. You know, look look okay, look at this. Jackal, why do you even show up, man? You're Dude, such a dick. Just ignore Jackal, him. <laughs> Jackal says, I hate walk. Of course he oh, does. Oh, why? Because it came out after 1977? Good <laughs> of Lord. He, of course he does. If Richie not- Blackmore played it, it'd be a better song. <laughs> oh, please. Please, enough of that like shit. Uh, Cam, Cam McLeish says... I think Portnoy really tapped into Vinnie Paul's style in Glass Prison, but that's about it. Vinnie is the only Vinnie they'll ever be. So going back to the drummer point, I, I would agree. I would completely agree with that. Um, but yeah, going back to Walk, I mean, it's just, you know, he takes that one simple, you know, it's literally like a single note riff, and then, like, just with like, like heavy ass fucking chords. And it's, it's one thing that, you know, is interesting about Dimes playing and I think his writing in general is that he can make a single note riff sound absolutely oh I'm bringing that up Kale give me a second um, <laughs> he, he, he can make a single note riff sound absolutely brutal and yet at the same time he all, his, his writing also includes all these weird chords like that are not he doesn't play strictly in all power chords or bar chords. I mean, Wayne, you know, as a player, he's doing like I call them backwards chords. Like a power chord would be like a three five. I, I speak in terms of tab because I'm a fucking idiot. But like instead of doing a three five power chord, he'll do like a five three. And all these weird like things that are basically discordant, but somehow he makes them cordant. I don't know if cordant is a word, but you know, right. and you know, the end of end of walk is like a, it's like not just a power chord. Right. And I mean, it, it's incredible. And obviously, this is one of the greatest metal solos ever, one of Dime's greatest solos ever. So, I mean, this is man, oh man. All right. So, Jackals are, is getting crapped on here in the chat. He's uh, Mike L. Uh, good to see you, man. Thanks for tuning in. He says, Love Walk, as well you should, my friend, as well you should. Cam McLeish says, It's confirmed. Jackal does not have taste for metal. I would agree with you, Kale. I think I think Jim's taste is narrow-minded and pedantic, and uh, you know, I think, I think it was confirmed a lot earlier than today. <laughs> right, years. <laughs> All right, so Wayne, what are your what are your thoughts on Walk? An absolute absolute classic. So uh, with Walk, I would say every time I hear it, it automatically makes me want to beat somebody's ass. <laughs> 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 Even if I'm not even mad at somebody, if I'm not in a room, I'm like, damn, that's going to go put the wall or something, push the drywall. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like you said, dude, it's just like, you know, three chords, what he's doing, and it's perfect. You know, and again, at that time, I, I would say like a 92, the only other band that was that did a song that was similar with three chords is maybe Symphony of Destruction with Megadeth, the Kind of similar, you know, but oh yeah, because I mean, it's an open one. Yeah, okay. Yes, it's, a, it's, a, it's almost the same, but I mean, Symphony doesn't really make me want to beat somebody's ass, you know. <laughs> but, but with <laughs> right. Walk, you know, I mean, when that is the that that is their, I don't know, running with the devil. That dun dun dun. But yeah. you know, it, it's simple, but it's effective, and it it never gets old. 
You know, it's, as many times you, as you hear it, it's just, it's, it's amazing. You know, even in the production of it, like I was saying earlier, you can hear the front of the notes and you can hear the back of the notes. Yeah. And it's, it's perfect. And, I, and, and like with all done, like we were saying, like with Tim and Vinny, like I always wonder how many takes they did in the studio to do this stuff. And probably one. One or two yeah, takes on Because right. they were so insane. You know, I'm like, this is like damn perfect. You know? And, and, and like I'm, Walk is played out, but I mean, it's just like the damn perfect metal song. Yeah. You know, like, it would totally be my entrance song if I was a WWE wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So Sean Flynn is checking into the show. Good to see you, man. He says, what's up, dude? Sean, everything is all good in the hood over here. Sorry to be cliche, but I've always wanted to say that on the show. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Appreciate it. Uh, Danzig says, or Jackal says, Danzig ruled. Uh, you are just digging your hole deeper. Danzig is Jesus. absolute shitty, horrific garbage trash. Uh, that song Mother should be used to torture insurgents. It is that bad. Uh, all right, so Chris, your thoughts on Walk? <laughs> um, cool tune, obviously. It's one of the best. Um, simple. Um, you know, it's it's a weird song for me because it's like, if I never heard it again, I'd be fine. And yet I love it anyway. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's one of those. It's probably the one song that just got played too much for me. On this record, I, I just, you know, e- even when I watch live video of when I go out there and see like the the current Pantera, if that's the song that's pulled from whatever show, I'm not watching it. You know, I won't go out of my way to watch it or listen to it or whatever, but I love it. You know, right. if I hear it, I won't turn it off either. You know, it's it, it's an amazing tune. It's catchy. It's probably as close to something that could be a radio hit from this record, you yeah. know, if if there is such a thing from this from this release. But um, I mean, there's just not a whole lot to not a whole lot to say. It's a great song. It's a great song that was beaten to beat us to death with with it. Kale <laughs> <laughs> <Gail> McLeish <laughs> says, "Jackal, who hurt you? Are you the guy on the vulgar display cover? Because that would explain it." You know, Aiken, Aiken, we know Jim personally. Yeah. Tell, think about the cover to Vulgar Display. Tell me that Jim could not be the guy on the cover. He, it, it does kind of look like Jim Bartek. Uh, maybe if the it, hairline pulled back some. But. <laughs> Wayne, I'm not even kidding. Jackal actually yeah. does look like the dude getting punched on the cover. Right. It looks like it hurt. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. That's funny. So. Uh, all right, so moving on to track four. Yeah, this uh, this this especially go you know goes out to Jackal right now. Uh, obviously, it is fucking hostile, and I don't really have much about this song because yeah, it absolutely rules. It just is like thrash. It's obnoxious. It's almost punk. It, yeah. Well, I mean, it's as direct as it gets, and and yeah. I, I mean, I, I I just I love it. it it's you know, it, it's a simple message. It's a simple song. And it gets the point across, and I think you know it. You know, again, you know, I'll, I'll I'll hit on this after after we get to the next song. But you know, these first five songs on this Pantera record basically encapsulate their entire career. I mean, if you mm. want to know, if you want the essence of Pantera over, you know, five studio records and a live record and their live performances, all you got to do is listen to the first five songs on Vulgar. And you know, this one is the thrash element. You know, like you said, it's almost punk. You know, it's I mean. Even just the ending of the song where it's like, 
hostile. And it's the overdriven, you know, like distorted vocal with the squeal because of the mm-hmm. feedback and shit like that. Like it's just, you know, there's there's really not much you could talk about in this song. It's just everybody going as hard as they possibly can for yeah. three and a half, four minutes. And okay, let's get to the next song. The only the only significant thing as far as that this song goes is that unless I'm forgetting something, it's the only time on this release where Dimebag goes to a more eighties style solo. That solo feels fresh out of out of the eighties. Like, you know, it's it, it just it's more finger blasting than it is just brutal heavy riffing well you know? it's a it's a shred so it's like it is and there's a but then it's a whole bunch of the the, the guitar just like, like a bunch of whammy bar squeezes yeah. and stuff and it's it's 80s ish it's the only time that it really really he goes back to his 80s roots just for just touches on it I, again it's it's a minor thing yeah there's not a whole lot, it's a two and a half minute song it's you know it's, yeah it's not a it's not one that you can sit there and go, well, you know, if you're looking at the second verse, you know, you'll find it. You know, it's not like that. It's, it's fucking hostile. And that's it. I mean, does does it bother you that it sounds a little? No. Isn't okay. No, not at all, I, okay. dude. It's, it's one of my favorites, but just because it had fucking in it, and every time I wanted to drive, every time I wanted to drive my ex-wife crazy, that was my tune. <laughs> so Wayne, I mean, would you agree with that, Wayne? That this is like his '80s sounding solo on the record, and. I think so. I think it, with the, the solo is cool. I, the song is not really the best for me, but um, okay. I think it's a little bit fasty, blasty. But the solo is cool. It kind of kind of harkens back to the you know projects in the jungle. Was that the yeah? Oh the, yeah 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 okay. That a little bit. Maybe that was like a solo or something. Maybe back in, back then that he was out. But the, the solo is kind of eighty sounding, but the song's a little too doesn't really match the rest of the record for me. It's like you okay. like you were saying, it's kind of fast. It's a faster song. Oh, yeah. and the rest of the album's like get that slow chug. So it kind of feels a little bit out of place for me, and I guess that's why I kind of skipped over it a little bit. But it does have a final fucking. <laughs> 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 this is this is definitely the song that got them the parental advisory stick. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, w- I always wondered if it was if it was the, the cursing or the or the guy, guy getting punched on the cover. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's just it, again again everything's perfect on this record. It just all comes together in this you know. Um. So yeah, all right. So let's move on. Uh, the next song again the the big five you know I guess uh, this love, and this is where you get your you know kind of this is the cemetery gates ish kind of moment. But, you know, I think when you combine this song with the first four, this, again, this is why I say it kind of encapsulates Pantera. You know, the Pantera that we would, we kind of the way we look at them over the course of their career, I think these five songs, you know, that that's where that comes from. Because you had Cemetery Gates, you had the, the mellow, kind of half mellow, half heavy song in Cemetery Gates on the first record, and you had some heavier moments in this. But, you know, like you said, Wayne, like, you know, Cowboys is a little more... You know, it, it's a little more like '80s ish. I think you know, it's 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 not as you know groundbreaking. I would say as vulgar display. It's very it's very different. But I think it kind of kind of hints at what you're going to get from the rest of the band's career. So I think when you put this love with the first four, I think that's when you really get the Pantera that everyone you know right. really really thinks of. And you know, this love. I think if there was ever a played out song for me on this record, it would be this one. Um, 
if I had to pick one to say, oh yeah, I would, I would, if I had, you know, gun to my head, had to skip a song on the record, it'd probably be this love. And I think it's just because of the, the fact that it is overplayed. But I mean, the, the song obviously is catchy as hell. Um, it has a special place in my heart because I did a really funny, ma- well, to me, really funny mashup of it in an acoustic band. We, uh, me and my buddy did the verses to this love. And right as the chorus was about to kick in, we went into the chorus of this love by Maroon 5. So it was like, you know, like, like never any pain, quickly ending life. This love has taken its toll on me. And a couple metalheads in the crowd about pissing themselves. So I was like, all right, <laughs> if three guys laughed, that's a success. So, um, but more, more than your normal crowd. It, <laughs> exactly. It was a, it was a, it was a packed night for me, man. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I think this song, you know, the, the mellow parts are great. It's very kind of, I mean, it's a dark song. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a very dark song, and it it's got one of um, oh my god, it's got one of my one of my favorite dime riffs that like I I love when he does those like like walking riffs, and it's got that, and then the the live presentation when it's like no the whole no more head trip and it's like a dun 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 on the record but live's like they just slow it down mm-hmm. and, and it turns it, is, it into hollow a lot of the times yeah too, which is uh-huh. cool yeah yeah so at the same time the first half feels like a ballad the second half is definitely like a mind like the album cover you're gonna get an elbow in the face <laughs> yes yeah. yes yeah so I mean, you know, and, and this is it's a fantastic solo. This is the perfect example of, you know, dime solos that are singable. Yeah, I mean his his playing is so tasteful. It doesn't matter how heavy it is, like his playing is so goddamn tasteful. So he just absolutely, you know, knows exactly what to play and when to play it. And, you know, the solo on this love just shows that he's not just all about flash and heaviness and all this kind of stuff and, and you know, speed. He knows exactly what to do in the perfect moment. So uh, Wayne, what are your thoughts on this love? Um, I love this song, man. It's it's one of the first songs that I learned how to play on guitar, and it's like I was saying earlier. It's, it, it really feels like two songs in one. Like the first half feels like a ballad, and the second half feels more like walk or mouth of war. And it's it it uh this song sounds like it could have been on Cowboys to me, and it even though it was a single, you know, on, on the record, but. Yeah, it's cool, man. It, this this sounds like my sophomore year in high school. You know, <laughs> listen to this on my my, my Steve Walkman. You, you got a headbang into that. You know, it's like automatic. Yeah. Even if you don't like heavy metal, you know, you can just turn around. You got to do it. You know, but it is played out. I mean, every song in this record is played out, but uh, it's yeah. a good song, man. I love it, and, and I like the first half and the second half. I, I love. Still going into that kind of ballady type vocals, and this, yep. this is this is this. I mean, we're gonna get the hollow later. I think this and hollow or the cemetery gates on this record, you know. Yeah. But you know, in hollow, you got more like boozy swing type thing. But yeah, sure. I mean, I love the song, man. It's 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 great. It's not my favorite rec- song on the record, but if it's on, I'm not gonna turn it off. Yeah. You know? and, and it's a good song. I mean, didn't they do a video with, with this as well? You know? They did, I, yeah. Yeah, they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, right, I'm so, digging. So, so as long as we've got you in solo, Wayne, Kale has a question for you. We'll okay. kind of sidebar for a real quick second. He says, all right, question for Wayne. Which one of these songs would you want to make a background for the most? 
So I, I assume he's talking about a live show. So if you if you were okay. doing a live show for Pantera and you had to pick these one of these first five songs off of Vulgar, which one would you want to do? Do the first five songs, or can I do any of them on this record? Oh, let's go with any. Okay, for me, I would do uh, my favorite song on the record, uh, "By Demons Be Driven." You know, so in the title <laughs> nice. alone. So if I was going to do a visual for "By Demons Be Driven," obviously I'm going to straight up go for like some. Satanic imagery, you know, <laughs> right. some demons flying to the sky, you know. So, you know, I'm making an experience. I mean, I want like w- what I would do, and for that that song, I would want to make the audience feel like they're surrounded by some demons, you know, like flying with some LEDs behind them, you know. So, nice. that's that's the song I would pick for this. That's uh, awesome. That would be really for me. So. Okay. Yeah. All right, Chris, your thoughts on uh, this love? On this love, yeah. Um, it was the first, um, for me, it was the first song where Philip really brought the death metal element into it, lyrically. And I love more than it, I, the lyrics are, are kind of bad in this one. I mean, how many times can you say you keep this love? I think it's like 35 times in the song. But <laughs> with that being said, I love the dichotomy that he uses in like the, you know, he, he names three soft things, thing, child, toy, and it follows it back with fist, scar, break. You know, it's yeah. like, <laughs> it's like, yep. I'm going to fucking murder your child is what he's kind of <laughs> saying here. And that's, right. and that comes after the, the whole thing about the, you know, her pain was life and, um, you know, I feel so sorry that I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, you know, it makes me so unhappy that I'm doing it, but I'll take your life anyway. I mean, yeah. it's it's the first time in the Pantera catalog to that point that you really got some really harsh death metal brutality lyrically. You know, and 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 I couldn't love it more. The the meaner the better for me. I I, right. I love that. I I like Wayne. Another song that's been overplayed to death. But you know. But that being said, I still love it. It's still can't get enough of it. Yeah, it's just brutal. It's heavy. Like you said, you can't help but headbang to it. Even if you're not listening to it, you're just thinking about it. Yeah, great song. So. Speaking of overplayed, we now get into the part of the record that is not overplayed, and in fact is underplayed. Yes. And we start uh, with track six, Rise. And personally, I'm a fan of how they how they like actually did this in terms of the track listing, because you've got you know the fade out of you know this love, and it's you know dime just holding out that guitar note and the in the clean guitar and stuff and it's obvious and also like it's just there's no there's no break there's no nothing it's like oh it's quiet it's quiet oh shit no it's not no it's not so i mean this is another just brutal song and you know it's it's another example of you know this whole record is basically phil anselmo just telling you know kids of that age and teenagers and all that like look man like believe in yourself be strong it's like th- like it's it sounds really stupid to phrase it this way but phil's lyrics on this record are like really inspirational and uplifting in a way in a very brutal violent way but it's like you know rise like you know we're all one 
believe in yourself, stand up. It's it's all this like positive messaging, even though it sounds like he's like, I'm just going to kill you. Like, And there are those moments, Chris, like you said. But a lot of these songs, you know, Mouth for War, New Level, Rise is a, is a you know good example. Like there's a lot of positive stuff on this record that's veiled mm-hmm. behind the fact that it's incredibly heavy. And I think Rise is definitely, you know, one of those songs, at least for me. And I mean... This is another song that kind of just goes, and it also represents Wayne. You know, like we talked about earlier, the guitar parts. Like, you know, some people might think that that verse of da 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 da. It's like it, that's one of those backwards chords. It's like you know, it's a discordant chord, and it's wonky when you listen to it. Yet he makes it melodic, and it, that is like one of the very best things about Pantera and Dimes writing. And this is this is the first time we really get a lot of that on this record and i think the second half of the album is really when it kind of comes 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 to comes to be and i think this starts a half of the even though even though you know if you had the t- the cassette which i did um this is the last song on on side a but i to me this always starts the second half of the record because of those other five and pantera had a history all five records seemed to do this where it was the, the we love all the songs, but if you really think about it, like they were, the, the albums were kind of front-loaded. The, the songs that everybody knows are, are on the first half of the records. Like if, you, if you go through like all the hits that people can name, almost every single one of them is on the first half of a record. The back half is kind of where they stuck the stuff where they're getting a little experimental. They're, right. you know, it's starting to get a little wonky a little bit, especially you know, I would use uh, uh, Far Beyond Driven as the example of that. The second half of that record is weird. I love it, but I always think of the second half of that album as just fucking weird. And, you know, I think Rise is like kind of like the gateway because it's 11 songs on this record, and Rise is like right in between the first five and the last five. And you've got that direct, straightforward, like thrash power shit and everything. But then you've got those weird chords, man, and some interesting things that they're doing. So um, this is this is kind of a gateway from the... It, it's a, It's a good... Yeah. yeah, I'll use the term gateway from the first half of the record to the second half of the record. Um, the what do you think? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, Chris, what do you think about Rise? Um, I think it's the most complete song from a performance standpoint for all four guys coming together. Yeah, like, okay. I think any other song on the record you can pick out. Well, this is a great Dimebag song, or this is a great Vinny song, or this is a great Phil song, or this is a great Rex song. You know, you have all the all the other ten songs. I think you can do that. This one here, it's all four of them. There's not really a part that you listen. Maybe that part that you were just saying a da na na da na na, a little bit. Yeah. But I think that's any Pantera song. You pick up something with Dimebag, but <laughs> um, I, I think it's the most complete song of the record. I think it's kind of the most ordinary song too. It doesn't. And again, I'm not saying it's bad. I love it. But it it, it really is kind of standard as Pantera goes. It really okay. is just sort of, all right, it's fast. You know, it's fast. <laughs> There's a bunch of riffs. It's it's kind of a standard tune. I, I like it. I, I really do love it. But of the second half, it's definitely, if we were cutting this thing in half at Rise, it's my least favorite song on the second half of Rise. Or okay. of, of Vulgar. Uh, yeah. yeah. So that's okay. that's pretty much where I'd be. All right. What do you think, Wayne? Yeah, I agree with Chris. Uh, I think it's definitely the whole. You can't really pick out an individual on the song. I think it's 
I think it's the best team effort on this record. Uh, I also think it's the catchiest song on this record too. You know, the, wow, the chorus, okay. chorus kind of gets stuck in your head a little bit. You know, the, mm-hmm. most of the song is a, a little unforgettable to me, but the chorus kind of sticks out a little bit with the rise, rise. It kind of it kind of gets stuck in your head a little bit. For so for me, it's the catchiest song on the record. You know, I mean. I mean, how many times can you hear this love in your head? That kind of gets old. <laughs> but, you know, with this, this song, it's not, <laughs> right. not played out. You know, you know, if someone, someone who's not a Pantera fan, but a metal fan, they know this love. But this yeah. song is, you know, under the radar. So if yeah. you're a Pantera fan, you know this record, you know this song. So the chorus just kind of gets stuck in my head a little bit. So for me, it's the catchiest song on the record. And when the chorus kicks in, you know, I kind of sing along with it. But, yeah. but I Chris on this. It's 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 not a memorable song, but but the chorus for me is a little bit more memorable than the rest of the record. Yeah, I, I would agree with you guys. Um, I like it. The chorus is memorable, but whenever I think of this song, again, I think of the intro. Like, I think of that more than I really think of kind of anything else. Yeah. And it's just like I just pictured, you know, Dime's right hand just like, like just absolutely doing a Jeff Hanneman, you know. Um, so yeah, but I mean, great song. But I, I think I agree with you guys. It's you know not the most memorable on the record. Uh, moving on, we have track seven, which I think is one of the most criminally underrated Pantera songs they ever did. Uh, no good, attack the radical. Uh, the, this is. I, I the second half of this album has some rhythms that I fucking love, and this is one of them. You know, if you listen to like this is kind of stuff I was trying to teach myself when I was sixteen, and it was so much fun. It was just so much fun to play this, you know, because I could I could actually do it, and and yet I knew I wasn't quite getting it. it like it sounded right, but it didn't have that Vinnie Paul feel, like we said. But I just, and this is that, you know, that, um, like we were talking about the single note riffs and, and the, the kind of the walking riffs, like, you know, like, I love that. And it's a lot of the time, like, Rex is doubling it, which is another thing I love when Pantera does, when it's just Rex and, you know, Rex and Dime just doubling the same thing and just doing this really cool riff. And then it, you know, it simplifies, you know, itself in parts, and oh my god, it's just this song is so great, and it, it, this is, you know, again going back to having the cassette. When this started out, the second half of the album, I was like, okay, like Rise was a little different. Now this is a little different. I'm like, okay, we're getting into a different feel. I thought that was cool, you know. I've always, I've always thought that about this record, and it was, you know, my immediate first impression about this album was how this song kind of really. It goes in like a different kind of direction. And I, I just think this is great. I think it's criminally underrated. It never gets talked about. And I, I just I think I think it deserves way more respect than it gets. So uh, where where do you stand on this one, Wayne? Um I, I I probably need to listen to this one a little bit more, but I agree with you. I think this is kinda of like their political song on this record. Yeah. You know, it's like little finger. But uh with this <laughs> one, I guess it's more about the riffs for me. Um, and like you said, it kind of gets into the second half where people kind of start tuning out a little bit. And I guess with on cassette, you know, you have to get out and flip it over to listen to the yeah. side. <laughs> right. Kind of like, I think about really the only, like a lot of people who are like casual fans, the only reason why they're going to flip over to side B is to listen to hollow. You know, that's like the, the last time. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Good point. <laughs> so, so, uh, 
Uh, yeah, you know, I, you know, I, I probably need to listen to it some more. You know, I, I kind of tune out with the political things whenever ever bands. Not not saying that I disagree with them or agree with them, but you know, I'm 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 more about like the about the uh, dun 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 the chugs, you know, and and yeah, you know, music of it. But no, it's a, it's a good song. You know, it's uh, Phil sounds like Phil pissed off. You know, it's just like a middle like a middle finger, a musical middle finger, <laughs> right? Chris, uh, your thoughts on No Good, Attack the Radical. Well, it is my favorite song on the record. It's, it's 1A. 1A of one of, there's two that are pretty much a tie. This one and one that we'll get to shortly. At okay. the same time, it, it's definitely the political song of it. If, if anybody ever questioned if Philip was, um, was not racist, all you got to do is read the lyrics to this. And you'll pretty much figure it out real quick that he's definitely not a racist. You know, when you, what is that line? Some white hoods and militants know it's such a pretty of pity that they're right. living, breathing violence in your city. You know, I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's pretty much saying, look, you Klansmen, get the fuck out of my town. You yeah. know, I, I mean, in, in, in bold talk, you know, yeah. so it definitely says that what I think I like most about this though, is Phil's presentation vocally. I like yeah. the way he works the the spoken word vocal into yeah. kind of a singing vocal into the screaming vocal. I just like that. He does kind of everything that Phil does or has done from this record on, on this song, you know, where, where he just kind of, you know, especially that spoken word part there, you know, and then it comes in no man, not for a minute. You know, it's like, yes, you know, <laughs> I, I, it just, I, it, it's so powerful, and the lyrics are really, really strong in this one. If you're, you know, if if you are political, you should love this one. And I'm not necessarily the most political guy; certainly less than I used to be. Because why, you know? But um, <laughs> yeah, you know. But, but yeah, this this was always one of my favorites, and still. I must have played it 10 times today just listening to, you know, I'm, I'm listening through the album like I'm sure all three of us were today. And I just kept going, ah, put it one more time. Ah, put it one more time. Ah, <laughs> yeah. Put it one more time. Yeah. This has some massive replay uh, replay value to it. Mm-hmm. And I'm with you. Like, And, and in fact, like when I, when I just want to listen to a little bit of Pantera and I pull songs up just a song at a time, this is one that I, that I pull up all the time. Sure. And it's, I mean, it's, dude, that riff is just, it, it, this song is just so, like I say, so goddamn underrated, man. It's like, all right. So moving on, we have Live in a Hole. And, uh, you know, this one, you know, for me, it's, it's redeemed by some cool parts in the middle. Uh, It's, it's a little simple for me, but I, I like the, I like the slow wow like this is kind of like one of the weird songs that that you'd find on the second half of Cowboys. And otherwise it, it the song didn't really do a lot for me, but then I get to that middle part I'm like okay, that's really cool cuz again it breaks down to that just, you know, the rhythm section and and dime just going off. So you've just got bass drums and guitar which is really cool. It's got some weird guitar effects on it and stuff, and and you know it's cool. But you know this this is one of the ones for me that I I don't go back to a lot. Um, I, I would I would I would if I was to, to pick out for me records that I would say like are perfect albums. Vulgar would be on there, and 
that being said, like this would be the one where it's kind of like I was worried that it wouldn't be perfect as I was listening to this the first time, but then I got to that middle wonky part. I'm like, okay, this is cool. All right, let's keep going. It's still a perfect record. <laughs> like, so I, I like the weird parts of it, but the rest of it is like, I mean, it's okay. I mean, it's good, but not, you know, not a, not you know the biggest fan. I would say. Right. Uh, Mike L. says, I was a teen when I got this, and I remember walking around with my Walkman f- full, oh, full, he says full no confidence, but uh, I was a teen when I got this, and I remember walking around with my Walkman full of confidence, not violence, just pumping me up. Yeah, that's basically what this record is. It's like a shot of like healthy steroids. It's, <laughs> I, it, I mean, they could have called this record musical steroids, and it's basically kind of what it represents, I think. So, uh, I'm I'm with you there, Mike. That was that's basically what it. I mean, it still does it for me. It kind of it still pumps you up a little bit. You know, this record yeah. just has that vibe to it. So, uh, Wayne, what are your thoughts on "Living a Hole"? Yeah, I'm with you, man. This is this is a song I kind of skip over too, except for I'm going to say the. It's got one of my favorite. Like the intro is like one of my favorite riffs on the record. You know, it's the the intro. Is, uh, gah, 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 gah. I mean, and not that I really uh, I like new metal. I, I mean, I really don't. But I can see how like the intro to this kind of has like an influence on that a little bit. Like, like that a lot of off, yeah. you know, right hand stuff going on. But after the intro, yeah, I, I kind of tune out. You know, it kind of gets a little almost like psychedelic in the middle with some of the weird stuff and effects right. and stuff going on that he's throwing on there. And I mean, I, I get what he's doing. He's just trying to be experimental with, with this tune. But like you, man, I agree with you hundred percent. I think you nailed it. It's for me. I like the intro was like, yeah, this is, and then after the intro, I just kind of like fade out with it a little bit, <laughs> Right. but yeah, it's, it's a forgettable track on this record for me. So that's what about you, Chris? What, what are your thoughts on uh, living a hole? It's okay. Uh, I, I don't hate it. Don't love it hate the ending yeah. I, I i thought that they just like kind of couldn't figure out how to end it so they just dun, dun, dun. i was like all right you know i was like all right you know come up with something better they did so much better with the with with um you know every other song and then and this yeah. one they just it's like they didn't know how to end it kind of reminded me of like double talking jive from use your illusion oh, one or whatever yeah. where it's like, yeah, we don't have enough to do a whole song. So we'll just fade it away. You know, it's all right. We did enough. We gave you two minutes. Right. You know, and that's kind of what I felt like with the, with this track. It, it's okay. I, I agree with the whole psychedelic talk. That's a very good way to phrase that middle part is that it is very much out of that. They were definitely doing some hallucinogens when they were in the studio and that's what they came <laughs> up with. So yeah, it's okay. It's not not the worst, not the best, but it's it's it bookends great songs, so it's okay. Or it's it's in between great songs rather. Yeah, it feels like a deep. Yeah, exactly. Yes, very much so. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we get to track nine, regular people conceit, and every time I hear this song, I cannot help but picture the Pantera home video part two, because this is like. Where the dude with the with the vibrating dildo like blowing his hair in the uh like the hair the 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 hand dryer in the bathroom and then they, they, it's, it's it's the scene with all the topless women in it like right. this is the this is the song that was like playing behind it and it's it's just i, I just remember that dude with the big like dildo like it just ugh, what is that and then, go, 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 go. so um 
Yeah, this song this song is awesome. This again is a, is a highly underrated Pantera yep. song. Um, you know, the riff is cool again when we talk about like and yeah, that's one of the first on the album. And the the thing that gets me about this song is actually the the middle part, the solo section, because again, it's that rhythm section and, and dime breakdown. But Vinnie Paul's drums is one of my favorite drum beats because the the bell he's riding the bell of of the drums of of the ride cymbal, excuse me. But it's obviously like you know, it's got that feel to it because he's doing off of the kick and the snare with it. But then it, like the fill is it's like a it's. It's a brilliant drum beat, and it's simple, but it is so effective. It adds a lot of musicality to a very simple part of the song. And Rex, again, you know, we, we spoke of him being an underrated bass player. If you listen to what he's playing under Dime Solo in this, you know, underneath the the drum beat, he's he's walking all over the place. And again, you know, we mentioned it before, but you know, if you really want to listen to the musicality of Pantera. And here, the, the fact that these guys are actually really good players on top of just being dudes who drink and dudes who thrash and all this other shit. Like, listen to stuff like this, like the middle of regular people. And you can hear that these guys are not just dumb metalheads. Like, they know exactly what the fuck they're doing. And they can mm-hmm. play. They can play a ton of shit. And, you know, this song is a great encapsulation of all their stuff. You know, I mean, it's a great intro that's just like, and then a single note riff and. I mean, th- this song kind of has it all. So I love this one. This is another one that I go back to quite a bit, uh, even though it does remind me of that, um, you know, inappropriate scene in the <laughs> Pantera <laughs> video. So, um, Chris, your thoughts on regular people, Conceit? It's 1B for me. It's it's okay. so good. Um, and for me, this is right at the height of my angriest period in life was when this song was out. So believe me, I lived... I lived these lyrics. I definitely lived the don't fuck with this attitude. Yeah. And and I mean, I, 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 this is a funny, goofy story. When I was in the hospital with the, after the burn accident, um, my, my brother brought this tape up. Like they brought me a little, a little tape player and some tapes and they had to be unopened because they were, you know, because of the, infection that i could get from blah 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 Mm -hmm. so but so they brought me this tape and um and uh i think the downward spiral maybe you know like two really angry records and i would be playing these and the doctors would come in you know the doctors they're visiting different rooms (laughs) and people are watching like hill street blues or something on the tvs or whatever (laughs) then they come into my room and they're like don't fuck and I'm like yelling at nurses and stuff, just angry. And and I mean, it just, I could just remember the doctors looking at me and going, whew, that's heavy. What are you listening to? I was like, it's fucking Pantera, right? You know? <laughs> Meanwhile, I can't move to be angry, but I was just like, I was using it. I was using that rage to kind of rage heal myself kind of yeah you know i was like i'm not gonna stay here i'm not gonna lay here don't fuck with me with this shit you know and this was definitely one of my i i hate to say theme songs because that sounds like a stupid you know sitcom movie or something (laughs) right but but i really did use this song a lot to 
as almost like a theme to push myself to get healthy. So it has a lot of special meaning to me. And one of the coolest things I've ever done in my life was sat down and told that story to Philip, which was, you know, just me and him sitting on a couch. And I, and he was, he's like, let me see that scar over there, buddy. Tell me about this one. You know, it it feels so cool. It ain't even funny. I don't care what anybody says about him. He's the best. But, um, you know, it, it was very cool to have these kind of direct memories to share with the, creator of that music that did help me in such a big way and yeah this song is definitely it has a much more special personal meaning to me than probably anything in the pantera catalog but um cool song love it to death and um you know if you say it's bad don't fuck with this because i'll punch (laughs) you in the mouth (laughs) (laughs) well wayne what what are your thoughts on regular people conceit I agree with Chris, man. It's it's definitely a powerful song. You know, it's that uh, da, 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 da. that's one of the best Diamondback riffs of all time, man. Mm. Yeah, yep. crazy, and it's creative. It's such a creative riff he's got going on there because it doesn't sound like any other riff that he plays. And the whole category, uh, whatever, man. Catalog, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been I've had a lot of drinks. So. <laughs> <laughs> Drinking into infinity. <laughs> But you, you know, it's uh, it, it's a creative tune, and it's at the same time, it's you know, I, I'm getting into the walk vibe with this one. You know, just beat somebody's ass when it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm not a violent person, but this song makes me feel kind of violent. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, I it's I think this is another another track where all four guys are in sync with each other. You know, especially with Vinny and Don, it's 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 almost like like. With most with most music, you have like the bass player and the bass drum are playing the same thing. They're in sync with each other, except uh, for these guys, man. It's just like a, yeah. a brother brotherly telepathic thing they got going on, where like Vinny's bass drum and Don Bag's right hand are totally in sync with each other. And this this track with that opening riff, dun, 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 that the bass drum and the riff is on point. Yeah, and it, it's just. It pumps you up. I mean, I just want to go like try and bench 450 right now. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So so Chastity Crawley has a question. She says, drinking into infinity. Is that the new name for the New Year's fan hangout? Chastity, it starts with Gorilla Farts. And uh, Brian is drinking his horrific $3.89 concoction. So it, uh, it just might be. It just might be. We'll have to change that. For one night, we'll change it to drinking into infinity. <laughs> well, I think that's every show you host anyway, isn't it, John? No, not like the fan hangout, dude. <laughs> if, you've, if, if, you, if you've never had the pleasure of imbibing in a gorilla fart, I highly recommend that you do it. They are very well, delicious. I've had the pleasure of imbibing with you a million times, so I certainly know. <laughs> you act as if we drink rocket shit. No, oh, we've never drank gallons of Paramount at a time. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Don't know what you're talking about. Don't know what you're talking about. All right. So we move on to the next track, which Wayne, you said, is your favorite song. And you want to do a backdrop for the song. So we, are, of course, are yeah. talking about By Demons Be Driven. So I'm going to let you solo this one because, as you, you, know, you answered Kale's question, you said you would do a backdrop for this one. So explain why By Demons Be Driven is your favorite song on the album. Uh, well, I, I guess, man, just visually, the, the the lyrics kind of bring it to life for me. And it, it definitely is probably the weirdest song on the record. But I guess for me, it kind of stands out the most. And it definitely is probably a deep cut 
you know, but it, uh, yeah. it, it's, it's definitely a weird track and it, it kind of stands out because like the lyrically, it doesn't really match with anything else that's going on with this record. <laughs> right. and I don't really want to beat somebody's ass with this song, but you know, just like as a creative person and I don't want to get into the whole meta metaphysical thing. We're doing creative graphics and stuff, but uh, it just visually for me just kind of paint, paints a picture, you know. So this this would be the easiest one for me if I was to ever work or had the opportunity to work with this with this band or or any of these guys to to bring something to life. This would probably be the easiest one on this record. Uh, Hollow might too with the whole ghost thing, but uh, <laughs> no, man, I, I love this song and and you know it's probably everybody's least favorite song on this record but no it's cool with me man and and i think i think they were trying to like tap into the whole you know i don't know in the early 90s if they were doing the whole satanic panic thing (laughs) but i know it's cool man i I love it it's a great song and it's probably the one on on side two that i would probably not skip so satanic panic that was interesting really (laughs) That's I, man, I've I've never thought about it that way, huh? Yeah. Like that's kind of yeah. This this song to me is like it, this is the really weird song on the record. Yeah. You know, I mean, like the, the the chorus is is not. It is definitely like as far away from a typical chorus as you could possibly get. You know, it's just digga 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 dance by digga 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 dance. Like him just going by demons be drift. You know, it it is not normal at all. So, I mean, this is just, you know, one of those weird things that they do. And I I, th- I think this one kind of like is a precursor to what a lot of the things that you would get on uh, Far Beyond Driven. Uh, you know, the good next friends record. and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like the weirder side of things, you know, and there, to, this one is like there's not a lot here. But the thing I really like about this song is is the weirdness of it. And, you know, I, I'm on record saying like the weird Dream Theater songs are kind of like my my preference i really like that kind of stuff and this one like you know even even like the solo you know it's it's all this like double bass and but it's really just if you listen to it, it's dimebag doing these huge high harmonic squeals and then like, it's just all over the map it's like every time i listen to this i'm like what the fuck is this but i think that makes it kind of cool you know so you know this is you know it's not if I was to rate this, rank the songs on the record, you know, I I wouldn't have this overly high. No offense, Wayne, um, a- but it's still it fits in great because it's that weird kind of what the hell is that? You know, so and he's using a whammy pedal on this, and it's like one yeah. of the only, only songs on this record that he's doing his like signature whammy pedal, yep, sound to it. You know, and and, and that kind of sticks out to me because like later on, like and far beyond, he's going too whammy crazy. But this <laughs> right. song- ones on the record that he's like really using that so and that to me is like that when i when i hear like a whammy pedal the first person that comes to my mind is don bag oh well, yeah of course totally yeah brought that to life and this is one of the songs that he really one of the first songs that he kind of started really using it so i guess as a guitar player that kind of stands out to me you know? yeah speaking of whammy pedal real quick side sidebar how cool is it that at the show the pantera shows on this tour that scott ian is at he's running the whammy pedal for oh, yeah. uh, Zach on the side of the stage, that's just to me. That's just so badass. Yeah. I just, I just, I just think that's so fucking cool. But uh, Chris, your thoughts on "By Demons Be Driven"? I'm on Wayne's team here, not yours. Um, <laughs> okay, it's probably fourth, 
number four on my on if I was putting this in track order of my favorites, it's probably fourth. It's below um, uh, no good and regular people and new level, and then by demons be driven. I love the riff. I can't get enough of that. I love it. I I can't get enough of it. As I was saying to you, you two before we started, there's that biomechanical remix that was out yeah. on the, I think it was the Walk Deluxe single. I, yeah, it's I one of the singles. Yeah. I don't know if I still own it or not, but I did own it at one time, and it's it's really cool, longer. And I like industrialized stuff, and they kind of added like an industrial flavor. Not on this version, but on that version, it was more of an industrialized version, which I did like. Taking Talk about a song that fits perfect into the ministry sort of sound. This right. song is it. So, you know, I, I don't know. It's metal. It's evil. It's, you know, it's wicked. <laughs> the riff is great. You know, the the stop start chugging is great. You know, it's it's not as dramatic as one, but almost there, you yeah. know, to where yeah. to where that's, you know, and and you know as well as I do, everybody whenever you listen to one, you listen to the, the beginning 5 minutes, you're like, "Okay, okay." And then all of a sudden it's and, you, and you're just like, "Yeah." You know, I'm the same way with this song as, you know, whenever they start playing that that riff, I'm right in there with it. So I love right. this tune. Awesome. Yeah, this again, this is just I don't dislike it. I'm not saying that it's just it's the weird it's the weird song of the bunch for me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's just weird. But I but I love it for that reason. So sure. Uh so closing up the record, we of course have Hollow. Uh Wayne, you you alluded to it earlier. You know, Hollow and This Love are kind of like the uh, cemetery gates mm. on this record. And Hollow is just I, I think I think it's a great closer. It's you know, it's kind of like that after dinner drink. You have that massive fattening filling meal. And then you have that nice little after dinner liqueur. You're kind of relaxing. But then you realize you forgot one bite of giant fatty delicious steak on your plate <laughs> and you just cram it into your mouth and that's the last thing that you eat, you know? Right. Um so yeah, I th- this song is just it's like I hate to use this word because it really doesn't sound like it fits with Pantera, but it, plaintive. The lyrics are kind of plaintive, and it's like it's 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 you know Philip and someone talking about a friend who's you know basically a friend dying, you know, for lack of a better description, and and it's just you know the melodies are great, and it's another perfect example of Dime knowing exactly what to play when, and you know the the fade out. Is just cool, man. Like the way the song fades out with the heavy part, like it's it's such a great way to end the record. Like, and it just like fades out the record. And you know, you've been on this journey, and it's like like I said, it's almost like a palate cleanser in a way. You think because it's like this mellow thing, but then no, it kicks in with the heavy stuff, and and it's oh my god, and it even it blends the clean guitar with the heavy guitar, which I really like. That you know. But you still got the clean underneath it, which is like you can hear the, like the, the shimmery chime sound underneath the heavy guitars, and um, it's it's just such a fantastic album closer. And it's you know it's like hey man, here's a smaller piece of you know the microcosm of what this record is. You know we had it earlier in other songs where it's you know you get every bit of the Pantera sound in one song, 
and I think this one's kind of like a mini version of that. Like you know, like I said, you know, this love has kind of everything you kind of want out of Pantera, and this is kind of like a junior version, I would say, of, of uh, you know, this love. And it's just, it's great, man. I the the melodies are fantastic, and again, there's I, this is the one song that I think has the most feeling to it, and you know, obviously, because Phil's known for obviously the get like walk on home boy that kind of thing but i think this one shows like a little bit of the human side of him like okay. hey man you like there's something underneath that you know that super heavy metal exterior and so i love it i think it's a really cool way to end the record and i i just i really enjoy it man so uh where do you stand on halloween uh this is my second favorite song on the record wow and, okay uh, yeah man i think it's uh i think it i think it's an awesome encore and I think they used this as an encore back when they played this live. I mean, it might, it might have been the encore of the, the record. Okay. Uh, for the show. But I just, I, I, the, the guitar riff is so unique in this because the, the, the whole album, Don Bag is just chugging the hell away on all this stuff. And then when you get to the song, it feels like a ballad, but it doesn't feel like a ballad. And it's, it's like a swing. There's like a swing to the guitar. Yes. I mean, you just, you don't want to yeah. hit the, you just want to, you want to swing to it, yeah. And lyrically, it's my favorite song on the record because there's like a deep meaning to it. It's just like screaming and yelling. I'm gonna smash your face in. <laughs> right. I mean, there's actually there's a story to it, you know. And and like lyrically, you can in, interpret that how you want to. You know, if it's like he's talking to a ghost, or if he's talking to a friend who's dying, or even like one. You know, if he's talking to someone who can't hear or feel or like he's yeah. and you know, you can you can interpret it however you want to, but it's like you said, like it, it it's the beginning it's like this love. The beginning feels like a ballad, a swingy ballad, and the end of it just dun, 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 and then it yeah. fades up. It's a perfect ender. But I also think this song could also have worked for like number two on like coming out of Mouth for War. I think could it could have worked, you know, as a wow. second track as well, you know. I mean Okay. You know, it, and for me, I mean, this is probably if, if if I wasn't a Pantera fan, and I was trying to introduce somebody to the band, this would be the song I would let them listen to. You know, because you're getting all elements of the band. You're getting the swingy, bluesy, you know, deep lyrics. Almost like this is their Cemetery Gates for this record. Yeah. You know, okay. Catchy. You got the solos. You got the the brutalness feels mean he's nice you know so this would this would be my gateway pantera song if i was to introduce somebody to the band awesome okay wow hollow is the pantera gateway that's pretty cool man it's interesting i dig that (laughs) all right so chris what what do you what do you think about hollow i would have rearranged it's the only this is probably my only bitch about this whole album Mm. i would have put hollow right behind this love and done it as a suicide note one and two sort of a deal. Oh, okay. And I would have moved rise to the end. So that you go from by demons be driven into rise and end blasting, you yeah. know, and just, just end full speed. I that, see that. Okay. That would have been what I would have done. And then they figured out as a band that hollow needed to be a tie on to a song. I would, they, they did it with domination forever. Yeah. I don't know if they yeah. still do or not, but they, they always kind of mixed domination and then, and then did the kind of the guitar part on the halfway part of, of hollow to end that song. Yeah. 
I would have loved to seen it go with this love and then doing the the fade out of this love right into hollow. You know that dun 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 dun. dun. It, it, it just would have been. It would have been more fitting. And again, this is you know this is with thirty one years or whatever it's been to listen to it over and over to make an opinion. Right. But but it's the only I. I, I'm not usually one that really digs into tracking because I don't really listen to stuff in order yeah. a whole lot usually. But this is one time I would have probably rearranged the record a little bit. But I love the tune. I mean, the tune is great. Dime is fucking ridiculous on this song. Beyond yeah. ridiculous. Far yeah. beyond ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It's a good tune. So, so there we have it. We have uh, Vulgar Display of Power, which... Um, you know, final question for you guys. Maybe final question. We always bullshit too long on the show. I, I think this is, you know, we've already said that this is, it definitely started a new kind of movement in metal. It was a new thing. It was, you know, they said groove metal. You know, Wayne, you alluded to that earlier. Um, I, I think that this is one of the greatest, not only, well, greatest, I, I think it's easy to say it's one of the greatest records in metal i think it's one of the most important records in metal right because things really like i mean wayne you you, you said it like it it, t- it took things in a modern direction after this record mm-hmm. and it there's so many things that came after that you can you know just blueprint directly back to pantera and this record specifically so i mean would you guys agree that this is like this is i mean i used the term earlier but this this goddamn record is a game changer not only you know uh, no, it's, just, it's a game changer. Would you guys agree? Yeah, it's goddamn electric. <laughs> 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 yeah, I agree. Man. It's a, it's definitely a. Uh, it, you're you nailed it, man. It's a blueprint. It it if anybody who listens to metal or plays in a metal band that's important, this is definitely an influence. Man. If not the influence. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um. I I agree, but at the same time, the weird thing about it, nobody really came up behind it and and stole it. Right. There's really not a, you know, I mean, there's bands that have tried. You know, there's the Texas Hippie Coalitions, Pissing Razors, and you know, and I love these bands, so I'm not, I'm definitely not shitting on them. Sons of Texas. There's bunches of bands that have tried to have this sound. Nobody's ever been successful at, at recapturing it, right. which is a which is a statement to itself because it really did usher in a whole new era without being copied. And that is, even Metallica can't say that. You know, I mean, there's there's plenty of bands out there, the Heathens or Testaments or whatever that you can listen to, and you're like, okay, that definitely came from Metallica. What band that has had success can you look at and say, that came from Pantera? Yeah. That, do I mean... Uh, hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I think you know, it's really not. Yeah, no. uh, maybe we, like maybe throw some earlier Lamb of God into that. Maybe with the kind of like in the Pantera sound, but not not like yeah. Guitar, maybe maybe some Fear Factory here and there. I mean, there's there's elements here and there. Maybe a little Machine Head here. You know, there there's there's bands that have some elements. But there's no band that you look at, look at and go, oh yeah, that's Pantera ripoff because nobody's ever done it that way. Nobody's ever done it again. Yeah, 
it's that to me there's not i mean having to think about it there's definitely not um and that you know what chris that 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 begs the question and wayne i don't know if i don't know if you're familiar with this band but as long as we're going to talk about like bands that came after what do you think about this whole thing about exhorter saying that pantera ripped them off i mean i don't know if you've listened to the exhorter stuff prior to pantera wayne i don't i don't hear it yeah i don't hear it either and so i don't know where i don't know where that guy's getting it from i I don't thousand percent hear it (laughs) thousand percent i think that kind of feels like a a coattail type grab you know that's what i thought like i mean chris what what, i mean okay look look at Toomey. Toomey's right you must not have ears. Well, to me, what do you know about metal? You don't even have a show that people listen to. So, <laughs> Dude, I, I, I would say a band that I think who doesn't necessarily sound like Pantera, but I think had the creative mindset going in into the same type of creative riffing and original riffing. I'm gonna say Nevermore, Jeff Loomis. Oh yeah, I think Jeff Loomis is probably the closest yeah. thing we're to get it to Don Bag. Like with his Okay. There's nobody like him. Like with his creative technique, his right hand, his soloing. Uh yeah. I wouldn't say they're exactly the same, but as feeling and the spirit, I think Loomis and Don Bag is probably as close as we're gonna get to yeah. Not not our enemy Loomis, but never more enemy. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. unfortunately, unfortunately Loomis They're took right. his skills and just took a paycheck instead yeah. to go do Arch Enemy because right. we haven't heard anything creative from him in years. But no. you know, not not really. But yeah, but uh, listen to that. Yeah. Has got some Don Baggish type production sure. going on. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, production. Yeah, sure. I just you know, going back to the X Order thing. I, I've tried listening to it. I mean, it sounds like straight up thrash to me. I and and dude, I listen to a shitload of Pantera. You know, Toomey commented obviously, and dude, good to see you. Obviously, I'm busting balls. Um, I mean, I just I'm with you, Wayne. I didn't hear it. I listen to a shitload of Pantera, so I like to think I know what I'm listening to. And I just I didn't. Maybe it was just because I listened to only one record. Maybe I listened to the wrong record or something. But I just heard classic old school thrash. Yeah, to me, it's like sounds like Death Angel or some of the old school. Yeah, before bands, I didn't hear any like the southern rock influence, like you said. You know, the blues influence, like you said. Um, I just I didn't hear it, and I was like, I, I don't it. get it, dude. First time I heard Slaughter in the Vatican, I really thought that they were ripping off Pantera, and then I and then I went Man. back and was like, wait a minute, this came out before them. You know, okay. All right, I didn't listen to the wrong record. That's the record I listened to. I I don't hear oh, it. I love it. Yeah, I just I don't I, get it, man. I hear it. I can't hear the similarities. No, I didn't either. Well, I don't know. I mean, you go could listen go to, to, listen yeah, to it. Listen to the law. <laughs> Hell, listen to the album that they put out like two years ago. There, there was, um, you know, they they that almost sounds like a down record, which mm. as it should because they had what's his name Marzi from from Phillips um, Illegals band playing in it. So. Okay. They took it one step further and just, you know, adopted some of the same players <laughs> that were in. Yeah. But they all are from that like same area, if I'm not mistaken. They're all kind of like they all If I'm not mistaken about Exhorter, Exhorter was an uh Nola band, I believe. Yeah. And yeah. um Philip obviously came up in their scene. So a lot of what Philip was writing, you know, was fresh out of the same scene. Yeah. You know, I I don't think I don't think that 
I definitely think Dimebag's a better guitar player. I definitely will say that. Dime is an infinitely better guitar player than anybody they've had, you know, in, in Exhorter. But yeah, I'm just telling you straight up. When first time I heard Slaughter in the Vatican was probably 92, 93. And I literally thought it was a Pantera ripoff. In fact, somebody handed it to me and said, here, you like Pantera, you'll like this. And then I listened <laughs> to it and was like, okay, yeah. You know. <laughs> so <laughs> Toomey says, Cowboys from Hell equals Slaughter in the Vatican. Okay. Yeah. Wayne, we got to go back and listen, apparently. Yeah, I guess um, I gotta... Now with that thinking about that, I probably can't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> and then Toomey, if my damn internet would, would work. Uh, it'll come up in a second here. But he says, but John wins because he is actually going to see Pantera and Chris is wussing out. That's fine. <laughs> I, saw, I saw him when they were Pantera 41 times. Was it 41 times with the original lineup? Yeah. Wow. I thought I was doing I, good I, at 24 times seeing Dream Theater. I saw him every single time they were in any city I was near. Any, wow. they're the only band I've ever, them and Metallica, the only two bands I've ever even traveled to see. Wow. All right. So quick last question and we'll get out of here. Right. Um, my buddy Nick, is, who's a phenomenal guitar player, he says it with conviction and I, I agree with him if I really research it. Dimebag Daryl, greatest heavy metal guitarist ever. I say yes. I agree. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's a tough one. I don't know. Well, <laughs> well, but dude, I mean, if you if you if you really start digging into it, Chris, there's a lot of guys like, oh, well, I don't know, like, come on, like it's, and and to go back to the Van Halen thing, Wayne, your comparison is awesome because I think about it all the time. He's he's the Eddie Van Halen. You 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 said that earlier. He's the, he's the Eddie Van Halen of metal. He really is. Once, once in a generation player. It is, yeah. I mean, he's. I mean, just like Eddie. I mean, maybe not the most technically gifted player in the world. Maybe not the best songwriter in the world. But there's just something special about the guy that nobody could emulate. Yeah. You know, yeah. There, there's there's big name guys that that's a better argument for. Slash yeah. comes to mind. Slash, great player. Is he a, is he super elite? Mm, I don't know. He's got a super unique sound. But is right. he super unique? Dimebag, super unique, better than anybody that ever shared a stage with him. You know, technically better. Could play it when he was shit faced out of his mind, drunk. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, there's really nothing Dimebag did that you could ever quit. I mean, what could you question? Yeah, no, I agree, and and I think that I think the reason that he, he sits apart for me is the same reason why I think Eddie Van Halen, you know, sits apart from everybody else. Is like you want to talk technicality all day long. Go right ahead, you can do that, and there's he's still top of the list. Right, but it's the it's the songwriting, like it, mm -hmm. it's it's the total package. You know, like Ingve right. Malmsteen. Ingve Malmsteen can fucking arpeggio better than anybody on the planet. He's just technically an absolute yeah. wizard. But can he write a song and, and many albums worth of songs that the whole world is going to be listening to for hundreds of years or however long the fuck it's going to be? Like, no. I think with like Ingve and like guys like that, or like they can play and shred all they want to, but are they going to make you shake your ass when they start chugging around? You know, yes. you know, <laughs> Griffin, you're going to shake your ass to it. You know. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I completely, completely agree, man. So, well, Wayne and Chris, thank you so much for coming on. Real quick, plug your stuff, Wayne. I don't. I mean, you don't really have to plug yourself. I mean, anybody who knows Dream Theater knows that you do the Dream Theater show, and you. Oh, you know what? Super last question. You did I hear right that you have done or are doing a video for for Mammoth WVH? 
Um, and then you got me a couple of drinks in. I can spill some beans. You know, I'm working on it. Working on it, and nice. you know, I'm doing a big those seven dust tour coming up with with Static X. You know, it's gonna be be cool. And uh, I I finished back earlier in the wintertime. I, I'm doing the big Aryan show that's gonna be in the Netherlands. I'm doing like his big stage show, and it sucked about ten years of my life off working on that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and uh, you know. The, did some stuff for the Dream Sonic tour. I, I, uh, and actually, the Dream Sonic stuff I did like two years ago. You know, yeah, yeah. Using it now, so it's back in December. You know, I did some of the Six Degrees stuff that they're using now. Sure. But uh, yeah, and uh, uh, coming up, I potentially and man, I'm drunk. I don't care. I'm potentially <laughs> doing some uh, like the live stuff for the Steely Dan Eagle show. Like their big show they're doing. Nice. So, a big God big gig. Yeah, man. DT's lighting director is also Steely Dan's lighting director. So I kind of got the connection there with that. Oh, wow. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on Tremonti's Christmas album as well. Tremonti's doing a Christmas album. Nice. I, I just cool. saw that he was doing that the other day. I was like, and, and yet that guy could sing his ass off. That talk- yeah, He can play off too. Yeah. Yes. That, that, oh, my God. His, his solo stuff to me just smokes Halter Bridge. But I agree. Stop. Uh, dude, they're both good, but I agree. They're both good. Come on. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Now the Christmas thing, though, isn't that that's that's in the voice of Sinatra, right? That's the Sinatra thing. Yeah, dude, that'll be awesome. Yeah, <laughs> and all these guys are under the same management, like Mammoth, right? Alter Bridge Creed is all the same. Same management, same producer, Elvis Besquet. You know, right. they all work together. Yeah. Boy, has that so- guy made some money <laughs> in the last few years? All right, so Chris, plug your stuff. Uh, meatspin.com. That's my main site. <laughs> I still use that on stage to this day ever since you told me what that is. <laughs> no, um, chrisaiken.net for Chris Aiken Presents, uh, The Seth Williams Show for The Seth Williams Show, uh, theclassicmetalshow.com for The Classic Metal Show, um, CMSPN for the network, blah, blah, blah. Whatever. I'm out there. <laughs> <laughs> Look up my name, you'll find me. I'm not the guy that trains dogs. Huh. <laughs> Dude, Chris, you gotta hook me up with Phil, man. All right, I can make that. I'm sure I can make that happen. I, I would love to work with him. Dude, we we could probably make that happen. Let's do it. Not a problem. People helping people. That's what talking into infinity does. We'll trade. We'll trade for Eagles tickets. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> nice, man. On that note, guys. Uh, Wayne, Chris, thank you guys so much for coming on. It was an absolute fucking blast having you on. Wayne, great to see you again. Aiken, as always, man, it's amazing to talk to you, especially when it comes to you know one of our combined favorite bands, Pantera. Uh, to all you guys watching, everybody in the chat, Joshua Toomey, Chastity Crawley, Kale McLeish, all of our good friends, Mike L., good to see you, man. Jackal, uh, you are wrong about pretty much everything. Uh, Sean Flynn. Uh, Mike Lamagna, thank you very much for checking out the episode. And to all of you guys watching on YouTube, again, don't forget to click that like button, click that subscribe button, and smash that notification bell so that you are notified every time we go live. We are going to be right back here in two weeks on Thursday, August 10th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Brian will be back. We will have a topic. We don't know what it is yet. We're kind of mulling over some ideas, but Brian will be back. And uh, thanks again, guys, for checking out another episode of Talking Into Infinity. We appreciate you guys. And as always, until next time, everyone, carpe diem. Hey, 
Hey everyone, thanks for checking out Talking Into Infinity, a Dream Theater podcast. Just wanted to remind you that we want you to be a part of the show. If you give us a like on Facebook or follow us on Twitter, at T-I-I-D-T Podcast, we post the schedule of when we are recording the show live. It is a streaming video platform on our Facebook and YouTube pages, and it has a live chat feature where you can comment on the show, ask questions, and we can bring your remarks up on the screen and have you drive the conversation. So again, give us a like on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at T-I-I-D-T Podcast, and come hang out with us and be a part of the show. Thanks again, and carpe diem.